Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined, as always, by my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And, Wes, it's been a few days since that Thursday night down-to-the-wire triumph by the Green Bay Packers in Arizona. But I think your uh, the message you sent out on Twitter a day later probably says <laughs> it all, in which... Uh, you indicated every time we leave the stadium, since we're covering both the home games and the road games from the stadium during this pandemic era, seems like every time we walk out of here, we're saying to each other, boy, haven't seen that before. Well, and I mean, honestly, if we're going to go back and talk about this, let's also mention what you mentioned with your one last look column, that something crazy was going to happen. And hey, lo and behold, something crazy did happen in Arizona. It was Arizona, of for, course, right? For the Packers. I don't even know how to quantify this stuff anymore, Mike, because there's so many times when, you know, you, you cover this team long enough and you have Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. Not that it doesn't get surprising, not that it isn't thrilling. It's certainly both of those things. But you, you, you get done with a game like that, and I'm sitting there waiting for the Zoom calls afterwards from the Everard meeting room there, and I'm just like, it's incredible how frequently this stuff happens, where yeah. whether it was the ending in San Francisco or just how crazy this, the whole you know, second half of the Cincy game was, for the Packers to apparently have everything rolling against them momentum-wise, and then that pass to get thrown, A.J. Green, one of the best of his era, not on the same page with Kyler Murray, and Rasul Douglas, who was on the Cardinals practice squad a month ago, right ends up getting the game-ending interception. I don't know. I, I it, it, In some ways, it sort of reminded me of that, that Chargers game with Casey Hayward many years ago, probably in 2015, I think it was, where Casey, I think, had the interception or whatever it was near the end zone. It's the drama, it's the drama of football. It's the pageantry of football. And for the Green Bay Packers, it means they've won seven of their first eight. Yeah, it's, a, it's incredible. The Packers on a seven-game winning streak. They hand the NFL's last unbeaten team in 21 a loss and this is one of those West where I guess much like the Cincinnati game in the sense that this one wasn't about the kicking but it was you think the game is won then it's from the Packers perspective it looks like the game is certainly yeah. lost and then suddenly the Packers still come out with a victory just the the back and forth uh, at the end Obviously, I'm referring to the fact that the Packers just needed to punch the ball in from the one-yard line yeah. to take a two-score lead with three or four minutes to play in this one. They weren't able to get that. They thought they got it done. Then the replay reversed it. Then they weren't able to finish it off. And then with the Cardinals trying to keep their undefeated season alive, they drive from their own one-yard line all the way to the opposing five-yard line. So uh, if my math is right, that would be 94 yards. Correct. And then that 94-yard drive does not result in anything as the Packers get the interception. Douglas makes the pick against Green with 12 seconds to go. Um, the way things, I know we'll talk more about the bigger picture later, but you look at the way this thing is going, Wes, with what Arizona's doing, with what the Packers are doing, with what the Rams are doing, with what the Cowboys are doing. And, yes, the Buccaneers just took a loss on Sunday, but they are the – defending yeah. Super Bowl champions, yeah. right? I mean, this is this is just the first of many, many games we are going to see in the NFC here in 2021 amongst these contenders. 
that uh, could absolutely go either way at any time. Yeah, and, and it's a credit to Matt LaFleur because he's never wanting to take any credit for this. But I'm going to tell you something, Mike. When you see for the last two and a half years now at this point where the Packers are able to win this many down-to-the-wire games, yes, yeah, sometimes it absolutely is Aaron Rodgers' brilliance or a guy stepping up. But you got to give credit where credit's due. Matt yeah. LaFleur has these guys mentally physically, and even emotionally ready in those moments, in the winning time moments, right? The Reggie Miller winning time. Yeah. The Packers know how to excel in that time because you can't always do it, but when you do it with this amount of success, that's more than just a fluke. I know there was that thought of, oh, did the Packers get lucky? When you get this lucky that many times, that's not fortune. That's preparation. Yeah. And the Packers have been ready to, to capitalize on those opportunities. And this one, this one, the preparation was all about all of the limitations, right? Yeah. I mean, the short week, and yes, the Cardinals were on a short week as well, and they found out they didn't have J.J. Watt. But the Packers are on a short week, and they're, they suddenly are heading into this game on the road, traveling 2,000 miles without their top three receivers. Your all-pro left tackle still has not returned. And yet the... The commentary from both the head coach and the players after the game is is it just there's a there's an attitude that permeates in this team that no matter no matter what players you're putting out there they believe there is a path to victory they believe they are going to win every single game it doesn't matter if it's if it's in San Francisco and Elton Jenkins can't go and you're putting Yash Nyman in at left tackle for his first NFL right. start right. A prime, you know, a primetime game against a big-time team, long road trip, all that. It doesn't matter. These guys, these guys go out there believing that they're going to win. Now, as as I said in Insider Inbox on Friday, the morning after, one of these close games is not is going to go against the Packers right. eventually. That's the nature of this league. You're not going to win all of them like this. But as you said, the way the Packers seem to find a way and to come out on top in these situations more often than not, it does speak to the leadership, yeah. both from the coaching staff and the leadership within the locker room, I think, that, that this team has going for it. And you can't discount what those victories do in terms of a confidence standpoint. Yeah. It's one of the biggest cliches in sports media is, is confidence. I don't want to go down a confidence road here, but let's be honest, Mike. You mentioned how the Packers won't win all those games. And I understand the point you're making, but look at the Minnesota Vikings. How many tightly contested games they were playing so far this season and where their season is at. Yeah. The Detroit Lions played a number of teams tough. You saw what happened to them last week. Right. The right. Green Bay Packers, when you keep getting those wins together, man, it's kind of like your fantasy football league if you're at home. It doesn't really matter how you win them. As long as you win them, you're still up in the standings. Uncle Eric, he's done. It's over. <laughs> He's back at three and four. You're focused on the postseason. He's wondering how much money he's going to owe you at the end of the year. Yeah. But be that as it may, the Green Bay Packers, Mike, they are three and a half games up in the NFC North right now. And I'll be interested, if we have time, I'd love to talk to you about the thing you and I were discussing last week when you look back at the Minnesota and Dallas game, who you wanted to see you know, prevail. But I think so much of it, we, we spent so much time in the last three, four years talking about, okay, well, there's this team and that team, and do the Packers want this team to lose? Green Bay Packers might be that team now, the team that it's like, you know what, it doesn't matter what everybody else does. As long as they take care of business, the people, they're talking about Green Bay in that fashion now. To be 7-1 and one through eight games, with the season and the schedule that you and I were talking about two months ago, yeah. it doesn't even matter what happened against Jacksonville or in Jacksonville anymore against the Saints. 
Green Bay Packers have reeled off seven in a row, and that means it puts them in pole position for not only the division, but also the NFC. Yeah, absolutely. And when you talk about the schedule, obviously, it's not as though it gets any easier, right? right? Because this week, it's a trip to Kansas City, Arrowhead Stadium, uh, certainly one of the louder ones in the league, and and, uh, up, up there with Seattle in terms of the loudness of an outdoor stadium in the NFL. And then I know we're mostly going to talk about Kansas City, but you're still talking about a road trip to Minnesota where yep. with what's going on with the Vikings, that is essentially going to be the Vikings season on the line, I yep. think, when the Packers visit there. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, you have, uh, you have the Seattle Seahawks coming in again. Russell Wilson maybe is going to be back for that game. They, they will be pl- essentially playing for their season perhaps as well. And then on Thanksgiving weekend, before the Packers finally get to that, uh, the full week by, you have the Los Angeles Rams, another one-loss team that's going to be coming to Lambeau Field. So this, this next stretch of four games, the Packers have had their mini-bye, like we talked about it. You get through the Thursday night game, you get a few days off, a chance to, to, to regroup and refresh a little bit. Now you've got this four-game stretch before you get to the full week-bye that'll proceed the stretch run, but uh, but the schedule here, I, I don't I don't care what the records are. It's all about when you're playing certain yeah. teams, right? And this uh, th- this next four game stretch is as big a gauntlet as as the Packers have faced so far this season. Yeah, and it's interesting too, though, right? Because as you and I mentioned, and, and I wrote about an insider inbox today at the time in which we're taping this. Everything in that month of October was leading up to that Cardinals game. Yeah, it was okay. If the Packers beat Cincinnati, if they take care of business against Washington, is Washington a trap game? <laughs> you know, are they able going to, you know, on a short week with without Devontae Adams, without Marquez Valdez-Scantling, without Alan Lazard, Jair Alexander, Zadarius Smith, Ray Nitschke, you know, Jerry Kramer, without <laughs> all these guys, are they going to actually be able to stack up against a 7-0 and Arizona Cardinals team? Right. And they came out and punched them in the mouth. Yeah. It wasn't a full four-quarter game. You wouldn't imagine it to be against a team that hadn't freaking lost this year. But they came out, set the tone early, and were able to position themselves in the second half once they got up 17-7 to to be able to be the team out front. They weren't catching. They were, they were, they were leading. So I look at this November stretch very similarly. This Kansas City game is going to be difficult. Seattle is going to be a game team regardless of whether or not you know, you're going to see Russell Wilson. You're going into Minnesota. That's never fun. And then you also have that matchup at the end of the month against that juggernaut in the Los Angeles Rams. The playoff rematch from last year, the Rams are going to be coming here where they saw their season end last January. Correct. And the fact is, is that the Packers, by picking up seven of eight, much like that same thing you and I were saying going into Arizona, Mike, okay, they've taken care of business here. You flip the coin, you see what happens at State Farm Stadium. They won that football game. They're one seven in a row now at this point. See how long this road can take you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, a shout-out to our sponsors here, Wes. Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard-hitting analysis and up-to-the-minute NFL news that true football fanatics need 24-7, 365. And at Cousin Subs, we have something for everyone, like our Wisconsin cheese curds, mac and cheese, golden fries, and creamy shakes, all paired with your favorite sub or sub in a bowl. Cousin Subs, we believe in better. All right, with regard to the health situation with this team. Uh, the Packers, after the weekend off, they came back, had a short practice on Monday. Good news, both Alan Lazard and Marquez Valdez-Scantling, um, MVS still on injured reserve, has not been placed back on the active roster as of yet. But both of those receivers were on the practice field Monday. So that is a good sign here as uh, the Packers will um, 
begin preparing for this trip to Kansas City. But Devontae Adams not on the field yet. Um, Matt LaFleur suggesting maybe he'd be back Thursday uh, later in the week. So that's something to keep an eye on. And then we're still waiting to kind of see what's going to happen or not happen with David Bakhtiari. Yep. Um, Matt LaFleur saying, telling the media, there's been a decision made as to whether Bakhtiari <laughs> will play against Kansas City, but he's not going to reveal it. Obviously, doesn't want Kansas City to know exactly what the Packers are doing there. From a logistical standpoint, the Packers have to decide by the middle of next week um, to put David Bakhtiari back on the 53-man roster to activate him for the rest of the season. That deadline, um, that deadline is next week, I believe. Yep. Um, that being said, um, Matt LaFleur also left open the possibility that the Packers could activate Bakhtiari, but if he's still not quite ready to play, um, he may not play right away once he, once he is put on the 53-man roster. It sounds like it's heading toward David Bakhtiari being activated here at some point. Yeah. We just don't know when he's going to yeah, play. Yeah, David, David, spoiler alert, David Bakhtiari is going to be activated here in the next week and a half, barring some kind of like catastrophic setback. But yeah. Because the thing is, is now with the practice squad elevations, I mean, Mike, the Packers, I think, have 51 guys on their roster as we're speaking right now. With the practice squad elevations, you can bring a guy up and stash him on your game day inactives and still be just fine. So Lafleur's playing the right cards in that regard. It really is going to come down to how the training staff and the doctors feel about, okay, this mini preparation that Bakhtiari's had, is it enough? Are we ready to, to let him go? Uh, because certainly, as Lucas Patrick was talking about, just the energy that he's brought to the practice field just imagine what that would do for that unit once he's back out there. It's like, okay, you win seven of eight without David Bakhtiari. You play as well as you did at left tackle for half a season without a future Hall of Fame left tackle. What a job that that group has done. And I, I think it's going to be something that really carries them down the stretch. The, the very fascinating thing about how this week lines up for Green Bay is they're going to have to figure out what this life looks like without Robert Tunyon, right? Yeah. You lose him for the season. He is by far your most versatile, you know, inline uh, perimeter receiving threat in addition to a guy that has really improved himself as a blocker over the years. There's so many things that he brings to the table. They're just not going to be able to replace but they're going to have to try to, right? So whether it is, you know, from a receiving standpoint, getting back MVS, you for sure will have Alan Lazard back. That's a huge, you know, that's a huge boom, I think, for this Packers, you know, passing game. Absolutely. And then as far as a tight end perspective, Mike, it's going to have to be all those guys picking up their work pails and, and getting to it. Because Mercedes Lewis, you know what you got there. You understand, you know, heck, he's going to end up having the most receiving yards that he's had as a Packer this season, regardless of, of Tunyon's injury. Right. You know, Josiah DeGuar is back, the, the third-round pick. He's had a full season to work himself back. You know, Dominic Daphne's healthy. There's so many young guys here that are going to have to carry that load for, for Tunyon, and, and it's going to be pretty exciting, I think, to see exactly what that plan is going to be like without Bobby. Well, if there's one thing we know about this Packers coaching staff on the offensive side in particular now in their third year together, talking about LaFleur, um, Nathaniel Hackett, Luke Getze, Adam Stenovich, Luke Butkus, all these guys, Ben, ben Sermons, Jason Vrabel, um, is that they know how to adjust an offensive game plan and how you go about attacking somebody based on the personnel yeah. you have. Unfortunately, now the absence of, of Tunyon is, is permanent for 2021. They won't have him for the rest of the season, but it'll be, it will be interesting to see with regard to guys. We, we know what Mercedes Lewis is going to do and, and where he is, but 
with guys like Deguara and Daphne, I think, in particular. We saw what Daphne did when he was given an opportunity late last season. Deguara is a guy who, you know, all signs were pointing to him being such a big part of this offense in 2020, and then he goes down early in the season with the knee injury. The, these these Packers coaches will figure out will figure out a way to get the most out of these guys. I think everybody need everybody can be confident in that. And then when you've got that one two punch in the backfield, not to mention obviously a three time MVP quarterback, but when you have that one two punch in the backfield, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, and what these guys are bringing to the table every week, as we've continued to talk about on the show, that's the that, that's really the crux and the foundation. Of, uh, of this offense and where it can go. And, and you can figure out the rest of the pieces. And obviously you hope to get Devontae Adams back in this mix as soon yeah, as possible. You really well. do, Mike. And I, I love the way that the, the offense is built. You know, with all due respect to Mike McCarthy, he's done so many great things. He's doing great things right now in Dallas. But it did seem like at times, you know, in the mid-2010s, you know, you lose Jordy Nelson, you lose a Devontae Adams. It was difficult to try to kind of structure an offense without those guys. It was just so built into that, you know, kind of 13 personnel. Yeah. It's a much more malleable thing. And, and that's not just a reflection on McCarthy. I think that's the league now, right? It's more versatile. You, you have tighter bunch formations. You're able to use guys in different various spots. That's going to be imperative for Green Bay right now because, you're, as you said, you're not getting Tunyon back. That weapon is gone for a potential Super Bowl-type run. Yeah. So how do you replace that production? The same way that they had to figure out on defense how to you know pursue a, a pass rush without Zadarius Smith, how to lock down receivers without Jair Alexander. Packers have to figure out that same type of menu now without Tunyon. Yeah, and this is interesting, Wes. You know how things you know how things work in this league. How th- things sort of happen in bunches or 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 happen as trends and whatnot. And I I do want to. We'll talk more about uh, the Kansas City Chiefs yeah. on our next show. But before we go today, I just wanted to wanted to mention, as much as uh, you know that Packers victory on Thursday night in Arizona with so many odds seemingly stacked against you, and they pull it out. Look at what the Dallas Cowboys and the New Orleans Saints did this past weekend. Yeah. The Saints they lose they lose Jameis Winston in the middle of that game to Tampa Bay. Now yes, the Saints were playing at home, but they have to throw Trevor Simeon in there. Yeah. It turns out now that Jameis Winston is out for the season, unfortunately for New Orleans. But with their backup quarterback going against Tom Brady, they third find stringer. they they, they yeah. find a way to pull that um, pull that game out right because Taysom, Taysom Hill was, was was not available, yeah. and then the Dallas Cowboys, Cooper Rush has to make his first NFL start in place of Dak Prescott, and the Cowboys are on the road in a primetime game at Minnesota, seemingly a lot stacked against them, and they're down ten to three, I think yeah. it was at halftime. They're you know. Their replacement quarterback had only put three points on the board in the first two quarters, and yet the Cowboys found a way to uh, to remain a one-loss team in the NFC. They pull out a big victory on the road in Minnesota. What what some of these teams and these coaching staffs and everything are doing when it seems like you shouldn't be able to win the game, right? It's it's a it's a credit it's a credit and a statement to just how ultra competitive this league is there yep. i mean yes you're occasionally you're going to have the eagles beat the lions yep. 44 to 6 that happens the saints beat the packers 38 to 3 right that's going to happen every once in a while but the vast majority of the time these are the kind this is the kind of competition that um that this league is built on and it makes absolutely every week not only unpredictable 
but incredibly entertaining. Incredibly entertaining and rewarding. Because I have to imagine, as difficult as it was to lose Tunyon and to see Kylan Hill suffer that knee injury, that was yeah. awful for him. But when you look at the totality of the victory, like I hope Matt LaFleur, Jerry Gray especially, Kirk Olivadotti, they were actually able to sit back at some point in the weekend and appreciate what they actually did. They don't need to talk about it at a press conference. They don't need to pat themselves on the back publicly. Right. But to be able to put your, your team in a situation to win under those adverse situations, that's what football is all about, right? Mike McCarthy did it. Again, I tip your cap to McCarthy. The game plan they developed, the way they rallied against Minnesota to get a, a much-needed victory with the idea of, okay, we need to get our quarterback healthy, but we also need to win this game. I, I want to throw it back to you, though, Mike, because you saw my response in Insider Inbox. It's probably been the number one question in relation to the league that we've been asked over the last yeah. week. The, were you rooting for a Dallas win or were you ruling for a Minnesota win? My thought on it is that the division's the division, and the Packers now have a three-and-a-half game lead. You have to win the division before any of this other stuff matters. Yes, would it probably have helped the Packers in the long run if the, if the Cowboys take a loss there? You don't really have to worry about the space with the Vikings? Yes. But there's also nine regular season games to go. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that's going to happen. I think it's way too early to be talking about implications. So for the Packers to have a three-and-a-half game lead, eight games into a season, that's not too shabby. Well, I think I said to you before the game kicked off on Thursday night as we were getting set up in the conference room to watch it and to cover it, provide all the updates and all of that, my feeling on Thursday night before kickoff was if the Packers win this game, then maybe it would be good to see the Cowboys lose another one. But if the Packers would lose to Arizona, then you're, obvi you're definitely rooting for Minnesota to take another loss. <clears throat> I think the reason I felt that way is just knowing that, knowing that the Dallas Cowboys schedule, I think, when you look at, when you look at you know, the Rams, the Cardinals, yeah. the Packers, the Buccaneers, I think the Cowboys have the, the quote-unquote easiest schedule if there is such a thing in this league. So that's why my feeling was, okay, especially if, you know, the Cowboys are going to be playing a game without yep. Dak Prescott, okay, give them another loss. Um, but the good news is for the Packers in that whole scenario is you had the Cowboys and the Vikings playing and both couldn't get a win, yep. right? I mean, somebody, somebody was going to take a loss there. One last thought before we go, getting back to kind of where we started the show. You mentioned Jerry Gray, and he, he was calling the defensive plays, obviously, so and you and I have never called plays, right? I mean, you've played Madden, I guess. So you've yeah, been, you've I, been I played play Madden. Ball. I was I'm, really I'm good at Mad, that. I'm not a Madden guy. But my question to you yeah, is... Yeah, I never called plays. <laughs> my question to you is, your team's ahead by three points. The other team, with a, with a quarterback playing at an MVP-type level, has just driven the ball 94 yards to your five-yard line. Do you have the guts to call an all-out blitz, a seven-man pressure? I, I mean, we don't see seven-man pressures very often. Jerry Gray dialed it up, and, it, and that blitz call is what led to the whole miscommunication between Murray and A.J. Green. Do you have the guts to call that? Well, and then the other thing you got to remember, too, is the play before that you had Darnell Savage basically rushing the quarterback as an edge rusher, which ended up, you know, you don't want to see Murray get hurt, but it was that tackle that Murray ended up tweaking his ankle. Right, I mean, yeah. Jerry Gray wasn't leaving anything left in the holster. And, and to be honest with you, I actually really appreciate that. I've just, yeah. I've always, as conservative as I am, as much as I am a bird in the hand guy, I really think you got to go out on your shield. And if the Packers would have lost that game, they would have went out on their shield. And, but, but what ended up ultimately happening was Murray ended up throwing an ill-advised pass. 
screen wasn't looking. Yeah. And the to the victor went the spoils, and the Packers got that much coveted seventh victory. Yeah, I just think, I think it was just such a it was such a gutsy call, especially since just a few plays earlier, Gray had called for the blitz. The Cardinals had blocked the whole thing up. Yep and a short pass to the running back Edmonds because there were fewer guys yeah. out in coverage. He's able to kind of weave his way, you know, ends up being like a 20-yard gain and, and gets the Cardinals in position for the touchdown. But yet it didn't deter him. And on the five-yard line, he sent the house at Kyler Murray and it forced the Cardinals into a mistake. And it was the mistake that won the game for the Green Bay Packers. So um, just remarkable. We're, we've got, I mean, officially we're not quite halfway through the season yeah. right yet and we some of these games that we've been talking about um absolutely remarkable but i've never i've never gotten more like depressed when we were talking with aj Dillon after the game and he's like you know we're, we're halfway ish through the season it's like <laughs> yeah it should be halfway but now thanks to the 17 game uh we are now halfway ish through the season, so. Well, it's been. Uh, hey, um, we got the Kansas City Chiefs this week, a game that wasn't really supposed to be on the schedule, but hey, it just kind of popped up yeah, there game, as a ninth game, road game. Game 17, the new, the new 17th game. Here it is. The Packers <sighs> are going to be traveling to face the two-time defending AFC champions here in uh, game number nine. We will talk more about the Chiefs on our next show, but with that, we're going to call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team. We've got stuff every day for you on Packers.com. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.